Claire Parker. And I'm Ashley Hamilton. And And this this is Celebrity Memoir Book Club. Hey, Claire. Yes, yes, yes. I have a question. Please. What is Celebrity Memoir Book Club? Celebrity Memoir Book Club is a podcast run by two best friends and stand-up comedians who poke fun at the silliness of celebrity memoirs, rooting around like little raccoons, searching for gossip and ways to feel better about ourselves. I think we're trying to get a better understanding of who these celebrities are. We're trying to figure out why we don't like them. Or why we do like them. Yeah, I'm happy to be pleasantly surprised. I just feel like we are two women sitting atop of our glass house, throwing rocks at other people's glass houses. And we welcome you to join us on our little glass roof and throw rocks too. And what are we not doing here? We are not here to explicitly uplift women for the sake of being women. We are not here to blindly believe every narrative we are sold. We are not here to star worship. Sorry, like worship stars. I feel like it sounded like I said a Star Wars ship. Yeah, we're not on a Star Wars ship. We're in my apartment, and that's why the clarity is crystal clear. Ashley, what should people do if they're looking for something where everybody is being nice, everybody is being positive, everybody just loves the lebs and has nary a negative thing to say? Oh, I would say that they should slip back into the coma they've been in. <laughs> Yeah, it never stops. (laughs) I have a question. If somebody absolutely hates our podcast, is there a way they can escape it outside of leaving really mean reviews or DMing us their hatred? Yes. Okay, so one thing you can do if you don't want to hear us is you could not download (laughs) our podcast. (laughs) If you were to, say, listen to part of an episode and not like it, and then you stopped listening, no one has to know. We'll Nobody keep has that to secret. Know. You keep that secret. Nobody knows the secret. You just move on with your everyday life. And I'll tell you what you can do is you can find a podcast that you like better. If you just want the summary of a book, Wikipedia does it. Cliff's Notes does it. Goodreads does it. If you want somebody to read you the book, you could even get the book on audiobook. But um, Ashley, yeah? when people write to us saying that they hate our personalities and our opinions, are we going to change? No, we are not. So should they just save their breath? (laughs) Oh, yes. If there's one thing we've learned, it's that you only get so many breaths in this life. Do you want to spend them bullying two idiots on the internet? (laughs) Or do you want to spend them planting trees for our next generation? So anyway, I just think a lot of people maybe were under the misconception that if they had listened to five minutes of our podcast and not like it, for some reason they were stuck listening to every episode for the rest of their lives and therefore they must actively try to change it to make it something they liked. Yeah. And I just want to let you guys know you are off the hook. You do not have to keep listening if you do not like it. And this is what we're in for. So if that's not your thing, then get the fuck out of here. This is a cool kids only club where we are petty as shit. Yeah, this is our state of the worm to all the worms out there and the worms that we do like should we give a quick thank you because we got some absolutely kick arse reviews this week from dre dre for two for 2069 that's fun yeah that's the kind of humor we have on celebrity (laughs) memoir book club dirty raunchy a little bit sexy yes Kaylin McKee, I fucking love you, Kaylin McKee, lonely cowgirl in your area. That's also funny. That's also sexy. We have somebody who wrote us a really nice review, said they loved us, but then gave us three stars. We would love to thank that person, but unfortunately, we cannot thank somebody who gave us three stars because that is actually a mean review. That's 60% and that is a failing grade. So we would love, we would love to thank you publicly on the podcast, but once again, remember, we're looking for five stars. <laughs> 
And if you love us, we'd appreciate it if you could give us that. I think the worst thing you could do is be somebody who loves us and then actually hurts us in the ratings. <laughs> There's more. Oh my God. Dancing Pepper, hot cha cha, do the shimmy. Hot, 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 hot. Dancing Pepper. Katie also hates water. Yes, baby, <gasps> the unhydrated's oh. over here. However, if you are looking to start getting hydrated, we the, do have a water bottle sponsor. It's called The Coldest Water. And thank you to Shelby Nay. Ashley, did anything happen to you this week? Specifically at noon today. Well, I did. You had a big week in that you kind of went through a breakup and you went through a firing. (laughs) Sorry, I didn't mean to to ruin the ending. Okay, well, you answered my own question. Okay, it wasn't a breakup. I just have drifted apart from someone that I've been drifting like casually alongside, I suppose. Yes. And I also have recently become less than employed. But Sub-employed. I, I have been planning to go freelance for a while. So really, I've just gotten the job that I wanted. Uh-huh. Yeah, you were promoted <laughs> to freelance <laughs> somewhere else. You were promoted to a TBD freelance position. <laughs> yes. Uh, they were like, hey, this is a thing that you do really well, and we would love for you to be able to do it elsewhere on your own terms. We think you deserve better than what I can give you. It's so funny because the way she broke up with you was very, it's not you, it's me. She really did. And um, if you guys want to hear the full story about how Ashley was like, they tried to trick her into firing herself, (laughs) check out our Patreon. Ashley goes into details just for legal reasons. We have been told by leagues. That's what you are if you do legalness that um, maybe we shouldn't always be talking about our employment situations. What's the the fancy word for lawyers in like the old timey times? Attorney? No. Consulate? No. Litigator? Nope. Oh, 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 it's on the tip of my tongue at all. Barrister. (laughs) Is that old timey or is that Australian? I don't know. You know, in Australia, they have to wear fake wigs. I thought in the olden days, we were all Australian. Close enough. Why not? We'll run with it. (laughs) Anywho, Claire, Mm -hmm. anything going on in your week? Lord, you know, no, you know, not, you know that never, um, I did get, (laughs) I got vaccinated. Oh, Oh, actually I do have a funny vaccination. That means they can hear us in the government now. I fucking hope to God. I was thinking about how dope it would be to have 5G in my shoulder because sometimes I do really need Wi-Fi, and I get terrible (laughs) service in Brooklyn. And I'm just like, if I can't make a phone call from my apartment in Brooklyn, then like who can where, do you know what I mean? Why don't I have self-service in one of the most densely populated areas in the world? Here's my back story. Do you want to hear it? Yeah. So I was getting vaccinated. And you know, you get those little index cards. I've heard of them. So my doctor wrote on mine, Clark Parker. <laughs> I wish your name was Clark Parker. Those strong K's are cute. And I was like looking at it as I was getting the shot. Like, hell yeah. I'm so excited. This is going to look so funny on IG. I was planning my perfect caption. And then last minute, I was like, you know what, Claire? Maybe you take this seriously. Maybe for once in your godforsaken life, you like let the pandemic be more important than one of your stupid little stand-up bits. <laughs> and I told the lady, I was like, oh, ah, this is all my name. Isn't that funny? And she literally took it from me, ripped it up and goes, oh my God, if you had kept that, they would not have given you a second shot. <laughs> oh my God. And I was like, oh my God, I cannot believe that that Clark almost ruined your life. Yeah, I almost like stayed unvaxxed for the sake of a joke. That would have been really stupid. But then as I was walking out, I was like, how funny would it have been if I had taken a photo of it and uploaded it to like Republican Twitter and it was like, oh no, the Vax made me trans. <laughs> <laughs> and then I was like, fuck, I would rather get COVID and get canceled for that joke than have to live without doing it. <laughs> I'm really sorry that that happened to you. Call me by my Vax name, Clark. <laughs> Before we get into the 
pod. Can we talk about a, a current event? Yes, of course we can. I want to talk about the Khloe Kardashian gate. The, the way that they, the Kardashians are gatekeepers to the perfect body. Yes. And MJ, someone unlocked the key. So for those of you who don't know, get out of your rock. Get out of your homes. Get out of a rock. What are you doing in... That's dangerous. <laughs> get out from under your rock, be it a Patrick Starfish situation or be you in the Marines. <laughs> Come on home to America and listen to this story of gossip. Listen to this. So MJ, the famous matriarch of the Kardashians, she is Kris Jenner's mother, released this photo of Chloe posing by the pool unfiltered and unflattering sunlight. And the thing is her body doesn't look bad, but it's definitely, it's harsh midday sunlight. So there's anywhere there could be a shadow. There is a shadow. It's also like her body doesn't look bad, but it does not look like the version of it that she typically puts on social media. So if you saw it and you hadn't seen very many photos of her body, you would have been like, oh, she looks great. But if you saw it, having seen the photo she posted on her own account earlier that day, you'd be like, who the fuck's body is that? Also, I feel like you can really see where she's had the fat injected back in. It's almost like she's wearing the fat on top of her body because she has these skinny legs and skinny calves and then just randomly these huge hips and ass. Anyway... MJ posted by accident. I think it's taken down almost immediately. But of course, we're always watching. So people screenshot it. And Chloe freaks out so badly that this picture is out on the internet that they immediately copyright it so that they can have it scrubbed. So that's what you have to do if you want to get a photo off the internet. You have to copyright it, which actually made me think, what is an NFT except for a copywriting situation? Someone DM'd me the other days about getting something done as an NF, something NFT. I don't understand what NFT is. I could not use it in a sentence. So she got it off the internet, but of course... I mean, it'll never fully be off the internet because of what we call the Streisand effect. You know it? No. Streisand effect is basically because of a photo of Barbara Streisand that she tried to get erased off the internet. It's like the more you like flip the fuck out and try to get something off of the internet, the more people are going to search for it and continue to repost it and be obsessed with it. Whereas like if this had gotten posted and she made her MJ delete it and then she just like let us talk about it for yeah, a second. Yeah, we would have run through it. I feel like it would have been a 24-hour news cycle situation. 100% agree. Like the news is the way that they obsessively tried to scrub it from the internet. Yeah, and then she came out with this intense like messaging. It was four pages long about how hard it is to be her and just because she's on TV doesn't mean she's not a person and you know what it's like to be the fat sister and she works really hard to get her body a certain way and it's upsetting to see it looking not the way it looks and you're not being represented truly and then she did this insane thing where she kind of jumped around her bathroom and good lighting. To show you that nothing jurgles. I saw on Instagram that even that seems like it was filtered because they have a filter now that they can put on their Instagram lives that in real time modifies their bodies. That's sick. It is sick. I do feel really bad that she feels this bad about her own body. That a photo being uploaded showing what she actually looks like was a trauma for her. Like that is some true body dysmorphia that I don't think I could ever fathom. Like I was talking about when a photo of me that gets uploaded is not a cute photo. I feel bad about it. I'm like, damn, I didn't know I look like that. I mean, obviously we're not famous, so it's like different. No one's obsessed with it. But the way that they're obsessed with controlling their image is a sickness that I feel really sorry about. But also they create it. I get that in one on one hand, we're all part of the same system of oppression, patriarchal, but they have not just cashed in on it, but in many ways they've created it. To get like a Brazilian butt lift where they suck the fat out of your stomach and shoot it into your butt. 
to get that surgery and then sell any product that is supposed to be slimming or body shaping because they've sold waist trainers, they've sold flat tummy tea, they've sold whatever. The way that Kylie pioneered selling lip shit and pretending she never got fillers. What Kylie has done for the injectable industry is she created that industry. Yeah. 10 years ago, nobody in their right mind would have thought about getting Botox at 25 for the everyday person. And now it's like getting braces. It's like getting your hair dyed and it's insane. Actually, interesting. I was talking to my boyfriend's mom who is like a top facial plastic surgeon and I was asking what her opinion was because I was like, I feel like my generation was sold this bill that you have to get it preventatively or else it doesn't even work. That everybody I know is being told, oh, get it by the time you're 30 so that then you don't even create the wrinkles. And what she said is it's kind of a give and take because yes, the idea is that as your face moves, it moves in the same way. And so it's creating these wrinkles from repetition. But she's like, but also when you paralyze that muscle, it stops making that movement, but also the muscle itself atrophies. So then what happens is your eyebrows will start drooping because some of your face is held in place by the tautness of the muscles from constantly working them out. Wow. So she's like, that is another thing that they're not really talking about. But if you're constantly freezing your forehead, eventually what holds your eyebrows up is the muscle under there. So then you have to get the eyebrow lift. So then you have to get all these different things. So it is a give and take. And I do wonder how it'll pan out in 10 years. Also, here's something that I want to point out. Yes, Chloe was clowned on for being big. Yes, people have spent years speculating about who her father is. Not me, because I know. (laughs) I mean, if you don't subscribe to the Patreon... Yeah. I'm not going to tell you, but I know for sure who is the father. So I do want to say that, yes, we she was clowned on for a long time. Yes, she was made to feel like in a family that was very fixated on beauty, mm-hmm. she was made to feel like the ugly duckling, which has to be traumatic. However, we also liked her the best. For years, yes. she was the one with the personality. Everyone thought that Chloe was funny and the other two were like the cute, pretty ones, whatever. And then obviously like the younger ones grew up and became smoke shows. But like I always, 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 everyone talked about how funny Chloe was, how she was the only one with the personality, how she she made the show worth watching. That was the conversation that everyone was having and she rejected it. She, she like, became this hardcore. like Christian downtrodden wife. She's just like, God told me to get cheated on and just believe in him. She became obsessed with making a man happy and not being able to keep a man and obsessed with being hot and she works so hard on it and it is... I mean, I saw somebody say like, well, real bodies look real, so I'm not going to make fun of the way her body looks, but that's not her real body and she won't even admit that it's not her real body. She claims that she wants that body because she worked out for it. I'm sorry, that's not a workout body. That's not a real butt. They have perpetrated this idea of what it's possible to look like. And it's like, sorry, you couldn't uphold your own standards. It's very the sinning pastor who hates gays. Do you know what I mean? It's like you invented this world and you sold all of us this bill of goods that if you had enough money and try hard enough and have the right makeup and have the right clothes, you can always look perfect if you just always stumble into your right lighting. And now that you can't even live up to that. And it's like, is it her fault? I mean, it's probably more Chris's fault, but she has leaned into it. She has her good American jeans. She has her beauty brands. She has her hyper edited photos. I mean, she is a free adult woman. She I mean, she's could in her like, late 30s at this point. She could step out of the limelight if it was really killing her. I mean, she has enough money. She can fucking bow down. All these people have a lot of money. They're all free to go work as an Uber driver. You know what? <laughs> I never make fun of my Uber driver's body. I never look at my Uber driver and say, you have cellulite because I don't really care. I mean, they're very free to not be in public anymore. They're very free. available to not be on Instagram anymore if they don't want to be. But she like needs to continue to make money because she wants it and she likes the attention. She likes the spotlight. I mean, she very easily 
easily could have taken this moment and turned it into a lot of money. I think there was a lot of room to be like, this is the real me, like a body positivity she thing. She could have said, I felt so much pressure for so long and I want to be free of it and I want to just talk to you guys. And she could have done a no makeup IG live and really showed us the new clothes. And I think it would have been great for her American denim to be like, I'm done trying to look perfect. This is how I actually look at my jeans and she'll still look great because she still puts thousands of dollars into training, diet, and plastic surgery. I mean, there's just like a lot that she could have done with it and I just don't feel sorry for her, I guess. I mean, have you seen that mean photo of Demi Lovato that they call Poot Lovato? <laughs> <laughs> like sometimes people have a bad photo take them up. Yeah. It's okay. People who feel bad for Chloe, what about all the women and young girls who have, feel bad about their bodies every day because of things that Chloe Kardashian puts online? Yeah. Because of the proportions that she claims are like real human proportions, because of the results she gets from a personal trainer that costs way too much money. She literally had a show called Revenge Body, where effectively the messaging was if something happens to you in your life and you feel unlovable, try losing weight. Yeah. So her brand is get skinny or be unlovable. And. And I know she does feel that way because like, obviously she hasn't internalized that value, but she's also commodifying that value. And if you think that that's a sick value, then you shouldn't feel so bad that she fell for her own trap. Yeah. Anyway. This week's book, you guys, we have an incredible guest, but first we're going to give our rundown of the text. We did, I don't know what you know me from, Judy Greer. Do you guys know what you know Judy Greer from? She was the best friend in... The Wedding Planner. 13 going on 30. She was in The Descendants. Yes. She was Kitty in Arrested Development. Cheryl, the voice of Cheryl in Archer. She was in Elizabethtown. Was she? Yeah. She was in The Village with M. Night Shyamalan. You've seen her in a lot She's of things. She's been in like over 80 productions. She was in... Wasn't she in 27 Dresses? She was in 27 Dresses. She's been in most of the best rom-coms of our lifetime. What did you think of Judy Greer? Okay, so before I read this book, I had actually heard of it when it came out. And I remember thinking, Judy Greer, the always a bridesmaid, never a bride, probably has some of the greatest stories of all time. I was like, I remember seeing that this book came out and thinking that's going to be a really good book. I... New Judy Greer. I like liked her work in Arrested Development. I mean, she is somebody I recognize all the time and she's somebody who always plays a funny character. So I assume she's probably very funny. I thought she might be one of the coolest women in Hollywood because she has like the best of both worlds where she's constantly working. She's obviously crushing it. I mean, she's done voice work for every single episode of Family Guy. Archer was on for 11 years. I mean, she must be just like rolling in dough with these backup gigs that are fun to play. She gets to be funny. Clearly people like working with her. And there's no pressure. Plus, she is like the adjacent to all of the most famous people. And so she'd probably made like cool friends along the way. Yeah. And I was just like, she must have the best time just being this like middle person who gets all the fun. Or you know who else has that? Malin Ackerman. She seems to me to have the best gig because she gets to star Loki in all of these movies. She always has huge roles in these movies. Yeah. You would know her if you saw her. I don't think she's ever been bothered for a photograph once in her life. She's in so many cool projects. Because she doesn't put her personal life I mean, I don't know. I guess I've never looked her up on Instagram even. She just has this vibe where you're like, she is very famous, but I don't know what she's doing in her day to day. Yeah. She just consistently gets work and she gets really fun roles. She's hot. I love her. But yeah, Judy Greer is the best friend in everything. She's just always there and she's always doing a good job. Like you always walk away from the movie being like, that side character was nice. Yeah. And so we 
thought that she'd either have some really interesting hot gossip mm-hmm. or she would be very legitimately funny mm-hmm. or, you know what I mean? She'd have great advice on how to have a successful career in Hollywood. But what was she? She, I would say this book was the equivalent of somebody giving speeches at your parents' 50th wedding anniversary. Yeah. She was like a cousin remembering Thanksgivings at their house growing up. This book is when there's like two scheduled speeches and then they open it up and they say, does anyone else want to say a couple of words? And you've got some real chatty Cathy's in your family. And so they do want to say a couple of words and they tell an eight minute story that nobody ever needed to hear again. I compared it to, you know, in first grade when you do like my first author book yeah, and you have a book and it's the book about me and it's like, here's my favorite color. Here's my mom and dad. Here's my dog. Here's my favorite sport. Here's a TV show I like to watch. That's what this book was. Who do you think enjoyed it? It's tough to say. I do suspect that we might've been the first ones to read it. I like honestly think she might listen to this podcast if we tag her in it because I really think this was a book that was meant for her mom and dad. Yeah. I think they would be deeply interested in it. I think aunts and uncles, maybe a second grade teacher who's like, look what Judy ended up doing. Yes. To walk you guys through it really quick, the book opens up with her childhood in Detroit. She talks us through some of her great childhood memories going to the family farm in Ohio. She talks about her cousins and her parents. She gives us a lot of information on her parents' personality, her parents' backgrounds, etc. It's a lot of just like tiny inside joke stories from the family. So like there's the story about her mom moving furniture around all the time. Yeah, there's a story about the time her dad went into like diabetic shock and they had to go to the hospital on vacation. Yeah. There's like when she went to private school and they switched her to public school. There's a story. Yeah, but none of it really had any like meaning behind it. And then she talks about kind of finding her thing. So like she was enrolled in dance classes. She was very thin. So she was good at ballet, I guess. And then she discovered acting. She got really into it. She liked it quite a lot. She ended up doing like an acting magnet high school where she was in a performing arts program where she had some frenemies who basically like challenged her to get into acting school. And so she ended up majoring in acting. At no point does it sound like anything she loves. I mean, she talks about being in acting school and mostly she talks about what it was like being a waitress outside of it. She tells a story about being a coat check girl and the bouncer tells her, oh, you're supposed to skim off the top. So she steals $20 and she feels guilty forever about it. She talks about all the waiters she met. By the way, everything I just said leading up to studying acting in college, I think I just went through like a hundred pages. Yeah. She really goes into the details. I mean, I really thought the way the first chapter is like her childhood and how much she loved Detroit. It's like a love letter to Detroit, what it was like growing up. And it ends with her being like, and then I went to Chicago for acting school. And I was like, all right, now we're going to get perfect pacing. One chapter that takes us from birth to college. And now the story begins. But then we backtracked and went back to like pre-K. And she's like, one time a boy tried to kiss me in pre-K and I didn't like him. So I never talked to him again. And then we backtrack again and go back to like how her parents met and how her mom was a nun. Yeah. It was just like a lot of little stories that didn't add up to much. They weren't particularly amusing. I mean, so then we get to college and she tells the story about how she got an agent. She's like, I wish I had advice, but I was just walking down the street in my blue raincoat one day and a woman came up to me and goes, you need to be a model and signed me. And it turned out she was a pretty big agent in Chicago and she got me a bit role in a movie. It was like a David Schwimmer movie that was filming in Chicago and they wanted a local Chicago in to be in yeah. it. So she had like an entire scene 
in a movie, a major film, because she wore a blue raincoat. And she talks about she wore that blue raincoat to the audition, and they were like, we love that. Bring it back to the shoot. But she doesn't really give any insight into what happened there, how it happened. We don't get any sauce on David Schwimmer, who I've heard is unkind. Yeah, I mean, next you hear from her, she's like, the first time I got a call from a director that I got a role, it was M. Night Shyamalan. I was coming off of 27 dresses, and you're like... How did we go from graduating college to now you've... Because before 27 Dresses, she was also in... The Wedding Planner. So I'm like, you've now been in multiple major films. 13 Going on 30, I think, was before 27. Like, she's been in a lot of really big things. And we get... I would say if we combined the pages about these enormous famous projects that are very like pivotal to certain people, cumulatively throughout the book, stories from these major projects would make up one page. I mean, she talks about the village, and so now she skipped all these movies. And what she has to say about it is that she was like, it was a really big crew. There must have been thirteen hundred people working on it, just so big. And we're like, that's your insight. And then she told one little story about how every Friday, all the crew members would put their names in a bucket, and who and whoever got pulled, M Night Shyamalan would buy them like a weekend trip, which sounds very nice. But that was like the entire chapter. Yeah. And then, you know, she walks us through, you know, her career. One time she got to go to the Oscars because The Descendants was nominated for an Oscar. She felt very out of place because she wasn't like really a big awards show actress, I guess. She was more of a the best friend who never got to go to the award shows, it seems. And then, you know, she dates. She has some relationships. She has some friendships. She meets her husband. Now she has stepkids. She has an entire chapter where she just emails her friends and is like, what is it like to be friends with me? And then just posts verbatim their emails back. Yeah, because she wants to be like, what is it like to be best friends with Hollywood's favorite best friend? And then she has a chapter that's just like texts from me. And it's just a collection of silly texts she sent her friends. They weren't that silly. No, they were, they've read like tweets. Yeah. And then she has a chapter about what it was like to rescue her dog from a pound and like her dog's history. There are a couple things she touches on that I think could have been bigger stories. One, every single major film she was in, I really think that that could have been a bigger story. Two, I think that she talks a little bit about getting a bit obsessed with social media at first and feeling very self-conscious, like with her agent and her publicist being like, you need to be pushing yourself on these social media platforms. And I think talking about feeling the pressure to level yourself up in Hollywood because maybe she was happy being a best friend. Maybe she wasn't. I don't know. We didn't, she barely, she kind of addresses it once. I wish she would talk about why her career is the way it is. Cause clearly it is an incredible career in terms of she is just still working. She's still in it. And she talks about appreciating her career now that she can look back as a lot of people have like kind of shot out. She says these people shoot like cannons and I'd love to set them for that cannon. So clearly she does have ambitions to be bigger than she is. Why does she feel she's stuck at this B level? But also what are the qualities that have allowed her to continue to succeed? Because so many people get to where she is and then burn out. I mean, so many people are like the side character in one big project and then they're never in anything ever again. I just would have loved to hear about her work ethic, her talent, like what the combination of factors are that have allowed her to have this career because clearly it's not just a one-off. And I think that a lot of actors probably would aspire to have what she has, which is just like good steady work. A great working actress. In Hollywood and, you know, I mean, not everyone knows who she is, but I think she has a huge Arrested Development fandom. I think anybody who loves Mm -hmm. rom-coms know her. I mean, she clearly had a big enough fandom to get a book. Courtney Robertson's memoir did a really good job of giving us like the day-to-day of a working model. Not a supermodel, but like a working model. Mm -hmm. And I would have loved to know the day-to-day of being a working actress. I mean, she talks about the best advice she's ever gotten. And let me just read some of these. They're not good. It's not good advice. When in doubt, sing loud. Don't shit where you eat. 
Don't pluck your eyebrows when you're drunk. Also, all of these tidbits of advice are like attributed to some guy somewhere. They're not like, here's something George Clooney told me. Wear underwear over your tights. It'll keep them from sagging. Pack half of what you think you need and then walk around the house like a fucking champion. That's from Pinterest. Here's the thing is we don't dislike her. Like I think we come out of a lot of these books being like, I do not like that purse. We didn't like Anna Kendrick. I thought I could get a drink with Kendra Wilkinson at the bar or I think I would have loved to meet her in a bathroom. Holly Madison clearly is not a girl's girl. Rob Lowe, I don't want to get stuck at a dinner table Rob with Rob Lowe. I think I would be happy to know Judy Greer. Nothing she said I found particularly egregious. It wasn't overindulgent. It was it was cute and funny. I think if she was your friend, you would be like, this is so funny. She's the kind of person who I'm sure you just sit on the couch and laugh with. But as far as a book, it was really a lot of nothing. Anyway, to really dive into the lack of book that we read, we have such a fun guest. You guys, this is someone that we found on TikTok. We started following her because she is a ghostwriter and has incredible insights into the ghostwriting industry. You can follow her on TikTok at bgrizwrites, B-E-E-G-R-I-Z, right? And she has a podcast that is a scripted podcast because she wrote a romance novel that they released chapter by chapter in podcast form. It is sexy. It if is you're a sexy. little bit horny... It is salacious. You are going to need your vibrator, a box of tissues, and a picture of George Clooney. (laughs) I wish you guys could see the face I'm giving Ashley right now. I feel like she's really, she really outed herself with that one. (laughs) Um, Yeah, get your get your George Clooney out. Your Clooney supplies for when you're going to Clooney yourself. That's disgusting. Please welcome our incredible guest, Becca Grishow. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm stoked. What's this called? I don't know what you know me from. I literally, I feel like every word I read escaped my head as I was reading it. Before we even start talking about this book, what did you think of Judy Greer before we opened these pages? To be frank, I did not think of Judy Greer before I opened these pages. I mean, I'm like, oh yeah, I I knew the name and I'm like, oh yeah, from 27 Dresses and 13 Going on 30. So I was ready to like get some insights into truly who the person was behind this like secondary character. And turns out I don't really care about those insights. If you had to sit down with a friend and share a moment of this book, would any of it be shared? It would be... Ashton Kutcher giving her dad a motorcycle. That's what I said. I said there was one interesting story in this entire 20 chapter book of which each chapter is about four pages. (laughs) Can I say that I really thought that this book would have some juice. I really like genuinely believed that because I remember Judy Greer from a bunch of random things. And then I remember thinking that because she's in so many random things, her career must be fascinating. Like, yeah, she's like had all of these weird little insights into all of the most famous lives and not ever had any sort of like real notoriety. She must just know so much and be so smart and like so interesting and like so fun to talk to. And I was wrong. I was so wrong. (laughs) We got like the little bits about her, like talking about peeing next to famous people. And I was like, okay, here it is. Like, here's going to be the gossip. And then it just wasn't. It was just like, oh yeah. And then I got out of the stall and she was, you know, JLo was already gone. And that was that. Nobody cares about me. And I'm like, 
celebrities pee. I knew that. That's not the gossip <laughs> that I came here for. To get back into Ashton Kutcher, though, the story is that she starred in a pilot that he produced, and he was like, if this gets picked up, what's the thing you're going to do with your money? She goes, I'm going to buy my dad a Harley. And he goes, if this gets picked up, I'll buy your dad a Harley. And then it gets picked up, and sure enough, he remembers to buy her dad a Harley. And it's kind of this like weirdly endearing story about Ashton Kutcher. Did you assume that Ashton Kutcher would be that lovable? Honestly, no. And I did have to like look up Ashton Kutcher after this because I was like, she keeps talking about how cute he is. And I'm like, is he still cute? Like, I don't even know. I haven't thought about Ashton Kutcher. Can I say something? I actually have thought about Ashton Kutcher a lot. I I love that for you. I like listen to him on podcasts sometimes. He is actually like weirdly a genius. He's and, a big investor. Okay. He, I know he was an early investor in Twitter and like Snapchat and I think Tesla. And his like giant cause, the thing that he is really obsessed with is ending child trafficking. Okay, go and on. And I'm like, good for you, Ash. Last time I was listening to him on a podcast, he's really heavily working on this app that is like when you go to hotels, you take pictures of all the walls and then that way there's a giant database of what all the walls look like in all these motels across America so that if photos of girls who are being trafficked leak, they can match them and find the girls. Okay, that's all right. Then I do believe that he gave away a motorcycle. What a great dude. I just, whenever I think of him, I think of, did you used to get that ad on TikTok that was him talking about Acorns, I think, like the investing app? Maybe that was just me. A part of Acorn. He seems like somebody who would really become a billionaire and then turn around and want other working class people to become a billionaire for just a few cents a day. I never yeah. that but that tracks for me personally. I'll tell you what, I've yeah. never even heard of Acorn. So TikTok does not think I have the potential to become a billionaire. Oh, <laughs> the I'm first time I ever sorry. heard of the stock market was that GameStop thing. And I was like, the what? <laughs> Okay, that was very confusing to me. And I I watched, again, I watched a TikTok of somebody who was like, let me explain it to you in a way that you, everyone can understand. And I watched it like three times. I'm like, I still don't understand it. <laughs> Not so, everyone. The so. problem with teenagers on TikTok is they overestimate us millennials. They That's true. That's very true. Somebody told me the other day that I looked 36 on TikTok and I'm still no, having a lot of anxiety that's thing. You don't. You really don't. Thank you. And they were definitely saying that to fuck with you. Not that there's anything wrong with being 36, but... That's true. But that was definitely like a teenager trying to bully me on the internet for not being 20. And It's not our fault. We can't help that we're not 20. Yeah. Yeah. So we wanted to ask you, as a professional ghostwriter... Yes. What would you have done with this book to make it better? If you had been delivered this book... What would your idea be? Or if you had been delivered Judy and you were told, like, make these boring things she's saying into a book, how would you have added spice? So I will say that in the beginning of the book, I thought that the editor was, and I knew it's certainly the editor, it definitely wasn't her, um, was doing something really interesting in terms of, like, referring to other rom-coms and kind of, like, lining up her Judy's life with rom-coms being like, oh, this was just like that moment in XYZ, you know, John Hughes movie or whatever. And I thought that was like super cute, right? Right away, we're like setting the scene. It's like, okay, yeah, Judy Greer is that person you know as like the B character in all of these rom-coms. So that's how I thought the whole book was going to go, that we were going to kind of get these parallels of her rom-com professional life lined up with her personal life. And then that just didn't happen. It was like that idea started and then it got dropped. And I was like, wait, no, that was 
Right. Cause in the first part of the book, I was like, okay, I'm yes. on board. So I think that and she has like so a smart cute, to have right? like, and if she you has had like lined a, them up that way. Right. She has like a good meet cute with her husband and like a, frankly, a good meet cute with her dog yes. that she adopt. And even the Ashton Kutcher story is like a very rom com moment. So like, why didn't we lean into that more? I would have even loved if she had said my career is a lot like a rom-com in the sense that it's like, you may not have known that you loved it to begin with, but now looking back, it was there all along. It was the career of my dreams the whole time. You know what I mean? It's not the shiny one. It's almost like her career is Cinderella. It's all these co-starring roles. She calls it co-starring. Co-star, I always thought meant the other star. Do you know what I mean? Like Tom Hanks and... Who's the girl in Tom Wilson. No. (laughs) (laughs) Who's the girl in everything? I don't know why I'm blanking. Catherine Heigl? No, what the hell are you talking about? Tom Hanks, he's in every Tom Hanks movie. You've got Mail and Sleepless in Seattle. Oh, Meg Ryan. Yes. <laughs> I would say go. Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan are co-stars. Yeah. I would not say Judy Greer is a co-star. I would say she is also in it. <laughs> right. Okay, this is something. So my sister is a full-time actor, and that's when I was writing my most recent book, I was asking, I said something about like, oh, her co-star. And Allison, my sister was like, oh, well, you have to be careful because co-star is also a name for like somebody with a really, really small role. I'm like, okay, who invented that? Very much the bi-weekly of the (laughs) actor's world where you're like, oh, it means two opposite things that should have different words. Yeah, perfect. (laughs) The one thing that she said that made a lot of sense to me is explaining her role as like the narrator almost. She's just like the person who says what's happening for lazy movie writing, (laughs) which I was like, I guess that's what you do because I also, that's like what this book was. She was just like stating what's happening for the general public. I think that this book made it very clear the difference between a star and a (laughs) co-star, like a star and a best friend. I think that like, she just doesn't have that like magnetism. She's just kind of there to give like the frank explanation And you're like, okay, but jazz it up with a little storytelling. And she's like, but that's not the truth. I'm not a liar. She even goes out of her way to say that she's not a liar. And I'm like, it's not lying to be fun. No, maybe lie a little. I would love if you would tell me a single lie right now. Maybe then I'd be having a better time. Do you think she had a ghostwriter or do you think she only had an editor? I think that she had an editor who played a very heavy hand. But frankly, I think she needed a better editor because uh, a better editor would have... Better editor. Oh my God. (laughs) Would have cut like... I would say like 20% of this book. That's generous Um, of you. I think they would have left 20% of this book. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I liked... I don't know. I liked the beginning. But again, I might have only liked the beginning because I live in Chicago. And so she's talking about going to school in Chicago. And I'm like, hooray, that's where I live. I love when people talk about the city where I live. And there was some cute stuff in the beginning, right? Talking about her dad getting, which also here is the, this is why, you know, she didn't have a ghostwriter because if she had a ghostwriter, there would have been some beautiful parallel tied between her dad getting her that car with the star to be license plate and Ashton Kutcher giving her dad the motorcycle, right? There would have been some beautiful parallel made there about how he gave her this car that brought her out to LA, right? She gets it as a gift for graduating college and then she takes it to Los Angeles. And then when she finally makes it big enough, she's able to get her dad a motorcycle, albeit in like a roundabout way. I mean, she could have bought it herself. Mm -hmm. Ashton bought it instead. Great. But right, that's 
that's an essay right there. That should have been one essay talking about the star to be car and then led into the Ashton Kutcher story. And it would have been a longer chapter and it would have been, right? You would have gotten so much more meaning out of it. And instead you read the Ashton Kutcher chapter, you're almost done with the book. You don't even remember anything that happened in the first section. So no, I don't think she had a ghostwriter and maybe she should have because then maybe I would have liked this book better, you right? Know? I would say her ghost editors were actually her friends that she often pulled for entire chapters. Like when she just sent an yes. email saying, describe me as a friend. And her friends just earnestly, like my own, I would honestly say my own friends are comedians. So I think my own friends would have written a better chapter. But they just were like, you're great. You're always there. You've done some silly things. You make me laugh. We have memories. And it was just like seven versions of that email. And that was the chapter. Yep. And you just went, whoa. <laughs> This should have been cut. It sounded exactly like somebody was describing like the generic best friend person who serves no other purpose other than to advance the plot, but in human form. And I'm like, oh, great. So you are the characters you play? Go off, Judy. I guess she Go is. Off. It was also upsetting, I think, to have somebody who has such an admirable career. She's somebody who you would hope could at least give you advice. Like she is somebody who got yes. to Hollywood and made it fucking work without being a Jennifer Lopez without being a Katherine Heigl. And she is somebody that if you wanted to be like a character actor or just a working actor, you could really aspire to her career. I see yes. her being somebody a lot of true actors would just go, if I could have like Judy Greer's career, you have so many options. You're in a range of things. You're on theater. You're in rom-coms. You're in The Descendants. What an amazing career that never stops. I would love her advice. She doesn't even give advice. Even voiceover, no. like Archer, shit like that. I mean, she really has yes. had an incredible career. She's been in every episode of um, Family Guy. Jesus Christ. So she's really? got money. I was looking at her IMDb. She does all the extra voices for Family Guy. Jesus. And she doesn't even talk about that. So that's the thing is this book, it could have been great essays and observations about steering, like watching Hollywood from one step outside the limelight. She really yes. is like a half step outside of the most famous circle. Mm-hmm. And then it, it could, could have been, have been advice. I don't think she was funny. I think, and I hate to say this because it's exactly what I said about Anna Kendrick we read last week. <laughs> I think it was a lot of people who are pretty funny thinking they could be David Sedaris and not knowing that it's actually very hard to be a comedy writer. It's very hard to take something super specific and make it universal and have a theory and make it endearing and sweet and a commentary on what it is to be human. I think all these people thought they could be shouts and murmurs writers for the New Yorker and they literally cannot. And I hope it makes people respect the art form better. I hope so. I When I first started reading this and she was like a little bit funny, I was like, okay, maybe we're like leading into it. We're like starting slow. And I don't know if you've read uh, Lauren Graham's memoir. She's the uh, Gilmore Girls. Oh, I know who she mom. is. Yeah. Okay. Go oh. off. Um, <laughs> and her memoir is very funny, or at least I remember it being funny. Now I've said this and I'm like going to go back and read it and be like, never mind, it's not funny. But, and I was getting very much that vibe. So I was, I was on board. And then again, like after the first section, I was just, I was just over it. I'd say Lauren Graham made me want to be a teen mom when I was young. She was very good at playing a teen <laughs> I mom. I just went, wow, if you have a baby now, you could be their best friend. <laughs> so I think that was actually, I think teen mom had to be created by MTV to undo the damage of Gilmore Girls, which made it just seem like absolutely having a baby as a teenager was like the best sleepover of your life. <laughs> 
Yeah. Like maybe I wouldn't be so lonely if yeah. I would just like make my own friend real quick. And yeah. I also, cause I'm messy and disorganized. I was like, well, if I have a baby, she's going to go to Yale cause she'll be the opposite of me and she'll probably end up raising me. And I was like, if I want a mom, what I need to do is have a baby. <laughs> <laughs> and that was Lauren Graham's fault. <laughs> That was her fault. So I will say, so this book, obviously we've been shitting on it the entire time. The thing is, it's because we did like, like I finished this book liking Judy Greer, but sad that I want, like of what it could have been. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think that we're all the moms in this situation being like, I'm not mad at you. Like, I don't dislike you, Judy. I'm just disappointed in the potential we saw here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It could have been something good. Or it could have been nothing. Yeah. Or we could have, or it could have been like one or two essays that Judy Greer published somewhere else instead of getting a whole book. I think she should have started a podcast, and then we would have heard a fucking two minutes of her life every hour that she was interviewing one of her much more famous co-stars. I think she could have That's had a great podcast interviewing people who have the less glamorous lives in Hollywood. And it's not just because they're broke, but because I it's less glamorous. I was in an improv class with two models one time and they would talk about going to lingerie shoots and having to use like used lingerie that you would put it on for a Ew. shoot and then put it back on the rack. And it really was successful in being like, oh, I guess I don't want to be a lingerie model. <laughs> that yeah. does sound gross. And I think Judy Greer could have done a great job being like, here's the not fun side of being a successful a- actress who isn't Jennifer Lawrence. Yeah. There's one thing I know for certain is that I do not want to be a lingerie model, but a, I do want to be a teen mom. And if there's anything that anybody takes away from listening to this, it should be that. What I want to be is someone who had the potential to be a lingerie model, but unfortunately had to tend to my child that I had as a teenager. <laughs> there we go. Now that's a book I'd like to read. Was there any part of the of the Judy Greer book that you disliked the most before we move on to your career? Because there just wasn't a lot here. <laughs> Um, it had to be the chapter where she talks about like being intolerant. And when, yeah, she talks about like, if there was a perfume, if there was a Judy Greer perfume and I'm like, I'm not, she starts it that way saying like, if they ever made a perfume of me and I'm like, you've already lost me. Cause they would never make a perfume of you, Judy Greer. And we all know it. And the way that you've been talking up until now has not led me to think you're being tongue in cheek right now. Right. You haven't, you haven't been like self-degrading enough up until this point for me to believe that you're making a joke. And then she just talks about a bunch of things that annoy her for the whole chapter. She just like rants that is like, I am intolerant of the following things, people who are slow in lines. And I'm like, yeah, we all are like, what, what are you, it really we was, didn't need this chapter at all. It was an entire chapter ba- based on the fact that the word the in- intolerant sounds like vaguely like the kind of nonsense words they use for perfume. And I thought there was going to be a clever little hook where it's like it's skunk smelling so that people scram. It really Again. was a joke she made at a dinner party one time with a close friend drunk that then she was like, that's in the book. <laughs> <laughs> I, do I can only imagine she must have fought for that chapter because any editor with half a brain would have been like, this needs to be pitched. <laughs> I do think maybe she only had a couple chapters in her and then they were just like, do you have anything else? Have you said anything funny lately? And then <laughs> just because, I, I mean, I have a dad 
as many of us do. And he knows I'm a comic. And whenever I say something vaguely clever, he goes, that's gold. You got to put that in the act. And I really feel like she spent a weekend with her parents and everything she said, they went, put that in the book. And she went, it's going in. <laughs> it's funny that you talk about that first chapter, having all those through lines being kind of a good setup for this book, because I kind of feel like the editor did a little bit of maybe even skimmed the rest of it. Like maybe they edited pretty heavily in the beginning and then we're kind of like, let me just flip through this. Let's get this out. Send this to print. We just don't have time. I totally believe that because even the tone in the beginning of the book, then it felt like everything else was so much less polished. The tone at the beginning, I honestly was like, okay, maybe this did have a ghostwriter because it was really well written. And then... It was gone. Do you remember when she was talking about working at restaurants and then she talks about working at Express and then working at another restaurant? That chapter was ordered in such a confusing way. I had to reread two of the pages like three or four times because all of a sudden she just, she's like, I didn't work at another restaurant until I lived in Chicago. And then she just starts talking about working at a clothing store. And then she goes back to this restaurant and there was not any transition language anywhere. Like it really... Seems like no one reread that page. Of all books to be like, yeah, I really had to go back and reread it a few times. Yes. Fucking Judy Greer's memoir. Like, is that really is that really the most complicated story? And right. But it's true. It's, the icing oh. on top of my theory that no one edited, especially the back half of this book, is that she spells her dog's name wrong at one point. Yes. So. I felt like maybe it was self published <laughs> <laughs> i feel like maybe she got it in her, a bee in her bonnet that she said a book is the thing that'll take me to the top i do think i would have assumed that she was funnier than she, i now know she is yeah it's also crazy because you're so right that i do still like judy greer after reading this book and as we say these things i'm like i hope we're not being too mean to her and like whatever she's off sitting on her enormous pile of money like she's fine she doesn't like she doesn't care what i think the amount of money that she made on this book i'm sure could silence anything that i could say but but it's crazy that even reading after her after reading her no good book i'm still like but i still love you judes like well i do think the reason it's not good isn't her personality. Like we just read Anna Kendricks and I actually think they're very similar in the sense that it's people who are too young and they almost seem like they'll give you gossip, but instead they want to do half memoir, half humor, observational essay. And so it's a mixture of both and their observations aren't that funny. And then their memoir isn't that interesting. And so it ends up just being like amalgamation of a thing. I left Anna Kendrick's book going, oh, I do not like her. I think she actively puts everybody down and I think she'd be hard to be around. I still like Judy. I think if she was like my mom's friend at a book club, I'd be happy to chat with her every time I saw her. I think she's a sweet person. I think it was a good combo of self-deprecating and earnest. She seems like an incredible stepmom. Yes. But she just has not lived an interesting life. (laughs) No. And that's okay. So let's move on to something more interesting. Can you talk to us about your career? I know you started as a ghostwriter and now you've, you're writing your own book. And Yeah. So can you talk to us first about how you got into ghostwriting and what that experience is like? Because of course, a lot of our people have ghostwriters. And so it's always interesting to hear the other side of that equation. Yeah. Well, I will say that I guess my story is kind of similar to our girl Judy's in that I sort of stumbled into it. I 
was primarily a poet and a script writer. And I had gone to school for writing and like digital marketing. And my game plan was sort of to just have the digital marketing job and write a poem here and there and maybe like self-publish a chapbook of poems at some point or whatever. Like had never written had never written a novel, had written like one short story in college that was miserable and was like pulling teeth, but I was required to do it for a class. And then literally just like through connections that I had made in college, somebody was like, oh yeah, I know so-and-so is looking for a ghostwriter and I recommended you. So like check your email. Um, And I totally stumbled into this gig on accident. And it turns out I'm pretty damn good at it. Uh, I've written a lot of books. I've written over a dozen books. I will say it's it's tough because I am under non-disclosures for all of the books that I write, which is really interesting because you just spoke with a ghostwriter who was like able to talk about mm-hmm. their mm-hmm. ghostwriting. And that's so not me, right? I like started my TikTok to talk about ghostwriting because I can't say that much. And I always say like my author or the author. And I can't say like, oh, I've written XYZ book. I can only say like, oh yeah, my books are bestsellers. They are New York Times and USA Today bestsellers. And that's about all I can say. Can I say how impressed I am, first of all, that you are able to keep those secrets? I am so flabbergasted that you're able to like write these bestselling books. Like Claire and I, someone will tell us something and be like, you got to keep this on the down low. And so we'll like record a Patreon special about it because we'll be like, (laughs) because it's on a paywall, we can, uh, Um, it's almost like you didn't say it. What type of people are these? Do they fall within a similar genre? Can you say like politician, sports actor? Are you, is it mostly fiction or do you do like memoirs? I do both. Uh, Whoa. And I, why would you I, write somebody else's fiction for them? Yeah, it's it's weird because talking about ghostwriters like in the world of memoir is so much more common. People are like, yeah, of course, of course, Chris Jenner doesn't know how to write a book. You know, we all know that. But also, yes, there are fiction writers who have established their name enough, but then they're like, oh, well, I'm, I don't want to write anymore, but I can keep churning out books and making a profit on it. Can like, you name people that you're not under NDA with, but that you would get, is it people like, I would say Don Gr- Dan Grisham, is he a type? John Grisham. Oh, John Grisham. Oh yeah. He's not writing his own books. Not What about like not a Stephen chance. King? Stephen King is one that is up for debate because I feel like he was so coked up for so long that he was definitely writing all of his own shit. Mm-hmm. But, but now I don't know. I don't think he's, or he claims that he's not doing that kind of coke anymore, but still generating that amount. I mean, comics are like that, yeah. Which is always funny because to me, the whole point of stand-up is it's you're writing it yourself. And I would think that about an author. Like the whole point of being an author is that you're writing. The whole point of being a stand-up is that it's your jokes. Yeah. But then, I mean, Chris yeah. Rock, he's not writing his jo- Eddie Murphy. No, like Amy Schumer, jokes. they're all like just hiring no. a writer's room to write a special. I guess for me, it's these people who are like very acclaimed, like Zadie Smith or something like that. Do you think they would have ghostwriters? It's, God, it's such a gamble. And that's... Zadie Smith, I... No. That would... I don't think so. Where'd you get that name, Ashley? I've heard of books, Claire. (laughs) For me, the writing is usually on the wall in terms of like people who have ghostwriters in fiction and people who don't because... 
a writer who is taking like a year and a half to put out a book, right. Is just, is writing it themselves, right. They just are. But also I feel like you can learn a lot from looking at, at an author's social media presence and their marketing. That's usually my biggest like telltale. What does your Instagram look like? And is it mostly just like book promotion? That's like a big red flag for me. And like, I don't know. It's hard. And I don't want to say anything that anybody's going to listen to this and be like, actually, you're wrong because there's always going to be like an exception to every rule. And right. There are plenty of authors who are putting out like a book a month that are probably decent books. I don't know. Like, I'm not going to say if you're writing that much, it's bad, but. But like, probably it's bad. Let me tell you um, something like, about our bad. listeners. They're cool as shit. They will not come at you. And I mean, if we're going to come at <laughs> Listen, listeners, if you come at her over books, you're in the wrong podcast to begin with. We're literally a podcast about how you don't have to read anymore. So if you come (laughs) at our lovely guest, (laughs) what's a name that you really are like, this might be, this might shock you. Any Danielle Steele is 100% not her. And people insist that she's a romance writer. She's like, yeah, I think that's a joke. I think that's an absolute joke that people really think that the one that like I got a lot of grief over Jennifer L. Armentrout. A lot of people had asked me, like, do you think this person has a ghostwriter? And I read one of their books. And then I, which also like was frankly brave of me to, to read a whole book just to make a TikTok about that's, it. That was very, that's incredible. Was, then like went and was like, okay, based on this, on this person's website and this on their social media and like the number of other things that they're doing, just kind of dissecting their entire virtual presence. And I said, yes, I think that they do have a ghostwriter. And then people are like calling me the C word in the comments because they're like, they do not have a ghostwriter. Like you're just jealous that you're not as famous as she is. And like, just like tearing me to shreds. And I'm like, okay, you asked me my opinion. I gave you my professional opinion. And now it's like, okay, well, you're a bitch and we hate you. And I'm like, well, I give up. So (laughs) I try to tread really carefully. Two favorite go-tos of TikTok angry people are one to say what you're saying is like fake news. And it's like, oh, here, I have some really interesting, an interesting insight for you. Is this here? This, my personal TikTok is not the news. It's actually (laughs) just an opinion that I hold. And I open with that and like, and then second of all is one where they're like, mind your own business and only like, don't talk about other people. And it's like, why? This is the internet. When you work with these people, what is the experience of writing somebody else's fiction? Are they reading it page by page? Are they picky? Do they there's care a lot at that of, point? I, there's a lot of reading other work to adopt a voice. And I always, I know in a past episode, you compared like writing somebody else's memoir to like doing an EpiPen for a child where <laughs> the child has to have their hand on the EpiPen. So technically it's them. Um, and in some way it feels that way, both for memoir and fiction, but another way I compare it is I, I say I'm like a nanny because they give me a child or like an infant and then I raise it and then I give it back. They pay me and then they get all the credit, but it is my responsibility as the nanny to raise that kid the way they would raise it. Mm -hmm. So that's learning their rules, learning their, you know, their parenting style, So that means I have to study other work 
that's been written by the same author, or it means having a lot of conversations with a person to truly understand what their voice is so that when I'm writing, I sound like them to make the editor's job easier. And also that's just like being good at ghostwriting. I know that you've mentioned in your TikToks that you typically get paid by word. Is there any sort of like advance or stipend or anything for this research period or no? No, and it's a scam. Damn. That's bullshit. (laughs) How does it work from a business standpoint? Do you belong to an agency and then they sort of send you out on castings to be a ghostwriter or is it word of mouth freelance? It's freelance. I'm just some clown in her house who writes books. And there are agencies that you can be a part of. There are also content mills that you can be a part of if you want to like, you know, make no money and really have no value, um, but have really consistent work. If that sounds really good to you, doesn't really sound so good to me. So pass. Um, But that being said, I don't ghostwrite full time. So if I did, I write, I would have to work a lot harder marketing myself. I would have to, you know, maybe I would want to be part of an agency or maybe I would want to like pair up with even some content mills, but, um, but I don't do this full time. Uh, Maybe I will someday. I don't know. So your transition then to writing your own book was that how much help was it that you've ghostwritten in terms of just getting published and getting into an agency? Well, I, my own book is self-published. So, but, but mostly it is a podcast. So it exists as a book because it felt wrong not to publish it as a book because it was originally written as a book. Um, But this actually started as um, a project between me and uh, a couple other ghostwriters who had done some work in the romance writing space and saw how horrible and toxic a lot of the stuff that was being created was and also like incredibly unrelatable. The thing that I always reference is like, why is this character living in Manhattan and driving her car everywhere? Like what is going on? Like who wrote this? The answer is some woman in like her forties who has never called an Uber uh, and doesn't like, doesn't know how, and there's so much toxic masculinity in this space. And I'm like, this is not all these like alpha males. And I'm like, this is terrible. I would run the other way if I saw this man, what is going on? So we wanted to create this podcast, this fiction podcast that was romance, but we call it romance for riot girls, very like rooted in feminist values very like lots of f-bombs and like i have a man i don't need a man energy and lots of like sex positivity and not like the watered down feminism that i was seeing in these books that i was sometimes reading sometimes writing where it was like this girl is 23 she makes six figures at a job being a journalist in los angeles and i'm like what is no stop it stop it you're broke you might live with your parents, like stop, just stop. So, so it started there and it's, it's a fiction podcast and we also publish them as novellas. And I never really thought much about the book side of it. Right. It was always just about the podcast, but then I started getting some traction on TikTok and book talk specifically. And those people cared, a lot of those people cared more about the novella than they actually cared about the podcast, which I was like, sure, fine. Well, here, I'm glad it's there for you then. What is it, your experience writing memoirs? Like how much, what percentage of it is it therapy appointment? What percentage of it is, is it breaking someone's self delusion? Do you work with people ever and just think, wow, you have no idea how you come across? Yep. 
<laughs> yep. And that's about all I can say on that. If you meet someone who like truly does not know the vibe that they give off, do you write to like try and reveal some truth to make it like a eye-opening memoir for like the reader? Or do you write to get that person's perception of themselves into book form, even if it feels kind of delusional? Unfortunately, it's the latter. Because at the end of the day, the person that you're pleasing is the client. That's the person who's writing your check. So I'm, you know, I don't want to give you a book that you're like, but this isn't me. I've learned some terrible things about myself and this is how I come off. That's all, right? You're not going to want to work with me again and you're not going to refer me to somebody else. So um, in that way, it's interesting because you read like Anna Kendrick's book and hearing you talk about it, you're like, I don't like Anna Kendrick at the end of this. She's so mean. I'm like, did Anna read her own book and think that she was mean? Are NDAs forever? Yes. Oh God. God. It sucks. I was going to say it would be so fucking fascinating to get the remix of memoirs. (laughs) Yes. I would love that so much for the ghostwriters to remix the book and be like, okay, here's the real vibe. (laughs) There are versions of books on my computer that are not the edited completed versions of those books. So it's interesting. You can like look at the book and look at it side by side and be like, oh, that's what they changed in editing, you know, or like, oh, that's really not how I saw that person or that character. Oh, you really did that. Okay, fine. Sometimes I wish I could like release those as like, this is how it was originally, but I can't, because unfortunately the people that I've written for have probably earned enough money that they will have legacy money going to their children and grandchildren and such. So those wow. NDAs, it doesn't, right? It's it's not like they're dead and now I can tell you because the money is still there. Ooh, spooky. Wow. Do you find the memoirists are as precious about hiding their ghostwriter usage as the... Because I understand why a fiction writer needs to pretend that they wrote the book. Right. That's their career is they wrote fiction. But say you're Babe Ruth, who I'm going to safely <laughs> assume you have not ghostwritten for. You are correct. Okay. Never not once. If you're Babe Ruth, I don't think anybody had particularly high hopes that you were writing your own beautiful memoir. So yeah. And that's from what we've read. I think that if you are just like a celebrity who's not known for anything writing adjacent, you're just like, yeah, this was ghostwritten, like a reality star. There's nothing in my brain that's like, I'm sure Snooki wrote this book. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. But right. Whereas like, like Tina Fey or Amy Poehler, like yeah. you're a writer and also their voice and their comedic tone is so crucial to their identity that you would never want to admit that you worked with anybody else, even if it was just like a contributor, right? Who was just picking up your slack. You would never want to admit that. Before we shut this off, tell us, tell me where people can find you. Where can we hear (laughs) you without us? (laughs) That's, I don't know why anybody would want that, but if for some reason you did, um, I am on TikTok at B Grizz writes, B E E G R I Z writes as in writing. Duh. And then my podcast is consensual pod. We are that on Instagram. Um, my season is hookup state of mind, which is the second season. Yeah. And you can stream that wherever you stream your podcasts. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. <laughs>